I'm going to start today by, by making clear um, that the structure of the sermon today is, is really borrowed in large part uh, from a pastor named Tony Merida. He's, a, um, he's written a commentary on the book of Acts. Uh, he's a professor at a uh, Southeastern Baptist Seminary, and he pastors an Acts 29 church in Raleigh, North Carolina called Imago Day Church. And so I didn't copy Tony's sermon, or I'm not like uh, taking large chunks of his commentary on this, but the framework and the outline is really what I use. And, and sometimes I'll try to reword things, or what, and I just totally took his wording and his framework for it. So uh, I want to give credit for the work that he's done on this passage and make sure that, that you all know that from the outset. And um, just wanted to make that clear. I think that's important to do when you, when you use somebody else's work. Um, so as we continue in our series through the book of Acts, we, we can look through these, these first 20 chapters that we've gone through, I guess 21 now. Um, and there's been so many incredible things that we've seen God do through the early church, that, that thousands and thousands of people have come to faith in Jesus. Miracles have happened. Uh, there's this incredible community that is formed, and people are being sent out to all these different places with the good news of Jesus. And, and so we, we called this series at the beginning the, the Living Savior and His Living Church, right? Because because really, this book of Acts is all about what Jesus began, is continuing through his church, and has continued up through today. And, and so there's all this action, there's all this activity going on, it's all very exciting. And, and when we, a couple weeks ago, we came to this passage at the beginning of, of chapter 21, and, and we began to see that when we follow Jesus, there are many moments where we... We follow Jesus, but we're living kind of on the defensive, right? We're sort of, there's no forward motion happening. It doesn't feel like we're, we're going anywhere. And, and we're, in fact, feel like we're getting pushed back because there can be a lot of resistance uh, as we follow Jesus for numerous reasons. And, and so we talked about what it looks like to defend our faith. But in that defending our faith, there can be this sense of feeling really ineffective, and feeling really weak, uh, and that we don't have much to offer, and that can be discouraging for us because, of course, we all want to be growing, right? We want to be making progress in our faith, and we want to see things happening in us and through us, happening in other people around us. But, but here's something that's incredible about following Jesus. This is so, so key for us, that that our weakness does not deter Jesus from using us. It doesn't stop him from doing incredible things through us. Uh, and, and actually, uh, that, that there are many moments where the, in our weakness, the beauty and the glory and the majesty of who Jesus is is more perfectly shown through our weakness. And, and the Apostle Paul, who we're mainly following through the end of the book of Acts here, he wrote about this to the church in Corinth. He wrote them a letter, and he's, he's speaking about weakness. And he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we have this treasure, right? We have this beautiful, amazing gospel, this good news of Jesus. We have this treasure in jars of clay. 
normal, ordinary things to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. So we're, we're returning in the book of Acts to a place where Paul, the man who wrote those words about this treasure being carried about by something weak and ordinary, he's having to live these words out in his own life. He's not just writing to people who are going through difficulty, he's walking through it himself. And so we, we remember a couple weeks ago, Paul has been arrested. He is facing a series of trials that we'll see all the way through to the end of the book of Acts. It's just going to be a series of legal, uh, criminal, political trials that he's going through. And, and so all these trials are going to test him, and he's going to have to live out these things that he had written earlier. So today we're going to look at resistance, what that looks like here in Acts chapter 22, and then the reactions that we have to resistance, right? How do we respond to the resistance that we're experiencing? And then finally, the reassurance that we can find in Jesus in our trial. So we're going to read Acts chapter 22, beginning in verse 22, and then we're going to go all the way into chapter 23 to verse 11. So Acts chapter 22, beginning in verse 22, it's on page 932 if you're using one of the Bibles back there on the table, and then the verses will be up on the screen as well. Acts 22, 22. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, but I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet, and he brought Paul down and set him before them. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law you ordered me to be struck? And those who stood by said, Would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. 
For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, we find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. This is God's word. Let's pray once more. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that you've given us your living word. Many of us wonder what it would be like to hear from God. And this morning, we have already heard from you through your word that you've spoken to us. And I pray that that you would speak to each one of us now in, in the places that we are, uh, that we would not just learn about the events that are taking place in the life of one man, but that we would see how this applies to each one of our own lives and the difficulties that we are walking through. How do we respond to them? And how can we find comfort? How can we find hope in the midst of these things? And for those that we love, Father, would you teach us now, give us soft hearts, show us where we are wrong, where we need to repent and turn to Jesus, whether we have known you for a long time or whether we have never known you, Jesus, would you call each one of us to repentance and faith? We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you guys remember, well, let me, let me just say this, when, when we look at this text here, what we're seeing is that we need real courage uh, to face real resistance. We can't have like abstract ideas uh, to face real consequences or real difficulty. We need like, we need real stuff that we can hang on to, not just like, well, this one time I read in a book that, that if you did this and things would be fine. I mean, like we were, we were just singing, um, that song, you're never going to let me down. You are good, right? That's great when we're singing a song, but what happens when we are facing real, real difficulty? How do we actually sing those words with conviction? And how do we sing them uh, where we're not doing double talk, right? Like, how can we sing, you're never going to let me down when we're on trial, okay? So that's kind of what we're, we're trying to look at here in, in this passage, and, and we've seen a lot of resistance to the people of Jesus and to the message of Jesus through Acts, and, and this is just a continuation of that. Last A couple weeks ago, we saw Paul, he's come into Jerusalem, he's returned from his uh, many missionary journeys that he's been on, he's given his report, this is what's happening, and he finds out that in Jerusalem, he's, he's, uh, there's a lot of rumors going around that he's trying to basically... Um, dissolve the, the 
the Jewish faith, that he's trying to tear it apart because he's saying, now Gentiles are part of the chosen people of God as well. We're all one in Christ. And so there's this resistance to the message uh, of Jesus as Paul is giving that to the Gentiles. And, and he makes a speech. Uh, he was allowed to make a speech to this great mob of people who are very angry and upset with him. And he, he gets up and he starts out, it's going pretty well at first. And then he ends by basically saying, Jesus called me to take his message to the Gentiles. And, and it doesn't, this is right where we're picking up here after the speech. They, they had listened up to this point, but not any longer. They raised their voices and they said, away with such a fellow from the earth. Sick burn, right? Away with such a fellow from the earth. Uh, for he should not be allowed to live. Um, now, we have to be real clear on what's happening uh, with, in, in this moment. These people, they want Paul dead. If you didn't pick up on that in, in the language that they're using, they want him dead. They want him, like, annihilated. They just want him to no longer exist anymore. They want him destroyed. And, and they're an angry mob of people. If the Roman uh, garrison had not come and rescued Paul, they would have just they would have killed him. It would have been like an ancient Near Eastern uh, lynch mob, essentially what's happening here. And, and so they just say, we don't want him to live. And they're being really dramatic about it. They're shouting, they're screaming, uh, they're throwing their cloaks off, um, which is to say, like, we're ready to go. Like, we're going to just, just kill him right now. Um, it's, uh, and then they're throwing dirt in the air because that seems to be like a really effective way to let people know you're upset is just start throwing dirt in the air. So um, if you get in a stressful situation, just remember, uh, you can always throw dirt in the air and that will confuse your enemy very much. <laughs> what is happening right now? Um, now, I don't know if you guys have ever been in the position of having your life threatened, and I don't want to make light of this because this is, um, this is a, real, a real thing. Um, and, and for those who have not experienced that, maybe there's moments where you've experienced a near miss, maybe uh, in your car, you know, you're driving and you just come really close to like a catastrophic accident or, or some, something else, maybe uh, just the, you know, we live in Humboldt County, we have a lot of earthquakes and if you've ever been in a big earthquake, it's like, yeah, you feel it, right? Like the ground is literally moving, uh, nothing is safe now. And now, now, what I want you to do is think about the way your body responds to that, to, to a threat on your life, to a near miss, uh, to something like a natural disaster, an earthquake or something like that. Our body has like a physiological response to that, right? You, your heart starts beating quickly, your adrenaline just starts pumping, your breathing accelerates, uh, you might start sweating, and then, um, and then when the threat is gone or it's reduced, then your body has this huge crash, right? And, and you start shaking, um, you might get dizzy or nauseous, or you might actually throw up uh, if you've been in a place of stress like this where your body just, you know, you, we call it going into shock, right? So, so there's this physiological response in our bodies to, to danger, to threats, and to um, things that we're scared of, right? So, um, 
And, and, and most of those situations that we're thinking about, that most of us have experienced, they're not on purpose, right? Like somebody who's, who almost runs into us at a stoplight, they're not intentional, hopefully not. I mean, it is Eureka, so this, this could, could happen. Uh, but, but it's usually on accident, right? And an earthquake is not like targeting a particular person, um, Paul here is in the midst of a crowd of people who want to kill him and no one else. Like, there's, it's not like two gangs clashing. This is not two enemy forces coming against each other. It's just a huge group of people and one guy. And, and he is experiencing the physiological response, I think we can imagine, of somebody who's under great stress. He made a speech I, my voice would be shaken like crazy. I'm, you know, these guys want to kill me. I know they want to. And, and so he's able to get through his speech. And he doesn't shrink back from saying the things that he knows are not going to make them happy. But we can imagine that, that as they begin to shout again for his death and they're throwing their cloaks off and they're throwing the dirt up in the air... Um, we can imagine some of the same responses going on in him. And, and he knew, right? He was prepared for resistance when he came to, to Jerusalem. He saw that for several weeks, but he's still experiencing it. Like, even if you are prepared for this, you're still going to be affected by it. So we, we need to remember, Paul is not immune to the fear and the stress that we feel when we are in danger. So, so as... As Paul, this, this mob goes back to screaming and shouting for Paul's death, the, the leader of the Romans, uh, the official, he brings Paul back into the to barracks because otherwise he knows he's going to be dead. So he brings him, brings him back in and he says, okay, we tried a few things. We're just going to go with the old Roman standby uh, interrogation by torture. Seems to be, we just need to get to the bottom of what's happening. I don't know why they go straight to torture, um, but... You know, they had an empire, so they knew what they were doing in some ways. Um, so if you want to find out the truth, it seems to be the quickest way is to beat it out of someone. So that's, the, uh, that's what's going on here. He, the Roman official says, we're going to have Paul flogged. Um, and, and again, we need to think about the reality of what this means, because these are old words and concepts that don't always connect with us. And so here's what's happening. Flogging, this is a theologian, John Polehill, he says, flogging was a particularly cruel manner of scourging that consisted of a beating across the raw flesh with leather thongs or straps in which were inserted rough pieces of bone or metal. The thongs were set in a stout wooden handle. It was not uncommon for the victim to die as a result of the flogging. Just to get some information. I don't, yeah, anyway, we could go a lot of ways with that. But, but Paul is not immune to the fear of, of his life being in danger. Just like you would feel, your clothes get all taken off. You are pulled, your body is pulled tight so that maximum effect is going to, this, this flogging is going to have its maximum effect on you. This is not an abstract situation. This is, this is not something he was just reading about. This is what he is experiencing. He needs real courage in this moment. Now, the resistance that we experience as we follow Jesus, 
as we grow in his community, as we live on his mission, it's, it's probably not going to look the same, right? We're probably not going to experience this level of danger to our physical bodies, uh, most likely. Um, it does happen in, in other parts of the world. There is physical persecution. There is death. Uh, for people who follow Jesus. So it's not like it doesn't happen. It does occur in, in many places. But, but the main thing that we need to take from this first part is reminding us that, that wherever the gospel of Jesus goes, there's always going to be resistance to, to the message of who Jesus is and what he has done. There's always going to be some form of resistance. And so if we follow Jesus, we must be prepared for resistance. We must have an anticipation that there will be some kind of resistance as we faithfully follow him and that we need real courage to face that resistance. Next, we will see some different kinds of reactions to resistance against us. And, and I, I do want to mention again um, that, that this is a real gift for us. As we, as we read the scriptures, sometimes we read it and we're going, I don't, we have a hard time putting ourselves in this story because like it's hard to imagine a mob of people uh, that, that want you dead, uh, so mad they're throwing dirt in the air. I mean, that's just, we we're, we're <laughs> have a hard time putting ourselves in, in that kind of, of position, but but as we're reading these these couple of chapters, um, we can think what, how would I respond or react to the different kinds of stresses or resistance that I that I experience as I follow Jesus? And I think many the reactions that we see here are actually very relatable to us. So um, I am going to go back to to the, what I said about Tony Merida and his outline because um, the way that he categorizes these reactions I thought were so memorable. He says that that Paul's responses to resistance are paper, rock, and scissors. Okay, so you can remember that, right? Paper, rock, scissors. Don't start playing it. Don't get distracted. Um, but but the first response or reaction to this resistance for, from Paul is paper. So he's literally stretched out. He's about to be tortured, and he says, oh, uh, excuse me. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. Maybe perhaps the rules have changed, but last time I checked, uh, it was not okay to torture a Roman citizen without due process. Actually, this kind of torture essentially never happened to Roman citizens, even if they were guilty. This was, it was considered beneath a Roman citizen. So, so he, he just kind of slyly throws it in there. Before you do this, I just wanted to check. Maybe you should go check the book or something. Is this actually okay to do this? He says, I am, he, he, he pulls out his papers. He doesn't have them. He doesn't even have any clothes on. But he, he says, I am a Roman citizen. And because I'm a Roman citizen, I I have the privileges and the rights of my citizenship. And so what was about to happen would be illegal. And any Roman officer or soldier who did this would themselves be uh, in, in very serious trouble, possibly execution just for doing this to another Roman citizen. And so this is very serious. And, and the soldier, he responds in that way. Oh, like... Boss, what, 
what are we doing here? Like this guy says he's a Roman citizen, and so the official comes to Paul, is this true? Are you really a Roman citizen? Yes, he says, I am. And, and as this official continues to speak to Paul, he discovers that Paul's citizenship is through birth, not through bribery. He didn't purchase his citizenship. And, and especially early in the Roman Empire, the, the, they took citizenship very seriously. It had this great magnitude. And, and of course, by the time we get to Paul uh, in this, this period of time, the Roman Empire started to um, slip a little bit. There's, there's more corruption. There's less uh, nobility or that sense of, of Roman pride. I mean, it, it, it's just... So at this point, uh, if you had a, the right amount of money, you could find um, a high-ranking Roman official who could bestow citizenship on you for a fee. Uh, and so this, this Roman official was not Roman by birth, but through, his, uh, through bribery, essentially. And so this, this practice was allowed, but it wasn't an honorable practice. And so there became these levels in Roman citizenship. And, and to be a Roman citizen by birth, that was the highest honor. That was the level that was uh, greatly esteemed. And anything underneath that was less important or less significant. And, and so what we see in Paul's first reaction here is to appeal to his earthly citizenship. He pulls out his paper, I am a Roman citizen, and so the principle that we can take from this is that it is okay, it is permissible for us to appeal to any protections that might be given to us through the law of the land. Uh, Tony Marita, he, he says here, we live in a land of laws, and if the law protects us, then we should appeal to them. If these laws prevent us from following Jesus, then it is better to obey God than man, and that's what we saw Peter and John do in Acts chapter 5. Something that we need to notice here, and you may have been asking this question, why does Paul wait until like the very last minute to do this? Like maybe before they took his clothes off and got them all stretched out, like maybe he could have said something then. Maybe he was just being really dramatic. Why does he wait so long for this? He didn't lead with pulling out his papers the first time he was arrested by the Romans. Why did he, why did he wait? Um, remember what Paul is doing. He is trying to reach the Jews. He's trying to, to bring the gospel of Jesus to them. And if he identifies himself as a Roman, he's going to have no entrance into, uh, into relationship with them. He's not going to be able to effectively reach them with the gospel if he immediately identifies himself as a Roman. And so he waits until the very last minute. And we actually saw him do this earlier in, in the city of Philippi in Acts chapter 16. Uh, same kind of situation. He waits until the very end, actually, till he's already been arrested and put in prison there too to say, I am a Roman citizen. And so he will pull those papers when necessary, but he only does it at, at the greatest need. And so I think we shouldn't always be quick to, you know, but that's my right or that's my privilege. You know, we, as followers of Jesus, we don't want to be like threatening to sue everyone because they offend us, right? So, so use your citizenship, your papers, wisely, but use them when necessary. The next reaction we see is, is rock. 
Okay, so we have papers, paper, rock. Uh, after discovering uh, that he almost made a very serious mistake, this Roman official, he decides, um, let's have Paul go to the, to the religious council. It's called the Sanhedrin. And this is the same council that Jesus uh, was put before the night before his crucifixion. And, and Paul, again, he's going to make another speech. He begins his speech. Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And he's not saying that he's never done anything wrong, that he's perfect, but he wants to point out, I am a person of high character. Um, I haven't done anything to deserve the kind of treatment that I'm receiving, and I want you to know that, um, that the way I live according to the law is still important to me. So he's, he's trying to reemphasize that with them, and here's the response he gets. Verse 2, the high priest, the leader of the council, Ananias commanded those who stood by Paul to strike him on the mouth. Man, you ever been punched in the mouth? <laughs> Wes is like, yeah, me. <laughs> I've been punched in the mouth before. It does not feel good. It's like a, it's a very shocking uh, sensation. Like, it's, I can't believe that just happened. And, and again, like all these bells are going off in your head like, okay, what am I going to do now in reaction to this? And, and he reacts, this is kind of like a Shakespeare play or something. God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? I mean, it's, it's pretty dramatic. Uh, I, just, I just love visualizing what's happening in this moment. He gets punched in the face, punched in the mouth, and, and he just comes back at this. And so in the same way that Paul appealed to Roman law, he's appealing to Jewish law. He's saying... Uh, and he doesn't do it calmly like he did before. He brings like all the fire. He's, he's got all the heat turned up here. And he's like, you are a hypocrite. Uh, God is going to strike you down. So this strong words. These are fighting words from Paul here. Uh, he doesn't just react with paper. He throws a verbal rock here. And now what Paul says is true. The high priest Ananias he was acting against the law, the Jewish law, in commanding Paul to be hit. Uh, he was a hypocrite. If you read uh, historical documents, this man, Ananias, he was known for his greed, his violent temper, and his uh, pro-Roman views. Uh, and, and Paul's prophecy turns out to be true. Less than 10 years after this, this man, Ananias, is killed by Jewish people freedom fighters uh, for the Jews. But Paul's reaction, even though he is right, essentially at every level of what he says, it's still flawed because of his anger. When we speak against injustice, we must use respect and restraint. And, and Paul, he had written earlier, to again to the Corinthian church, um, when we are reviled, we bless when we're persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we entreat. Right? He's, he's instructed the church on how to do this. We, when we are punched in the face, we bless. When we're punched in the face, we endure. Right? When people are telling rumors about us, we try to speak with them and try to set things right. 
And, and, it's, and, and Paul is corrected that people say, well, you can't say those things against the high priest. And he says, I didn't know that he was the high priest. Paul's been gone from Jerusalem for several years. Um, it's possible that because this wasn't an official meeting that the high priest didn't have all his uh, high priestly robes on. And so uh, it's plausible that Paul just didn't know who this, this man was. Uh, but, but he says uh, almost immediately, he makes an apology. This was not right for me to react in the way that I did, to throw a verbal rock against this man. Uh, and so our call is, when we react in anger, is to make that right. Oh man, this is tough, right? This is worse than getting punched in the face. Having to go apologize to someone when you, when you blow up, when you are in the wrong, to, to go and say, I should not have said what I said. I should not have responded in the way that I responded. And uh, another uh, of the early apostles, Peter, he was instructing the church on how to respond to this. And in First Peter chapter two, he says, but, but if when you do good and you suffer, and you suffer for it, endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. Hear this, for to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Man, I, doesn't it feel good to throw a rock when somebody comes at you when you're right and they are wrong. But, he, but Peter and Paul, they're saying, follow Jesus. Look to the one who suffered, who was reviled, and he did not respond in the same way. But he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly, to the one who ultimately will set all things right. Entrust yourself to him. The last reaction we see here is scissors. Once Paul... He gets past this insult of getting punched in the mouth. He, he really gets back to the focus of why is he here? And it is ultimately to defend his faith in Jesus. It's to make an appeal about who Jesus is and what he's done. That's the, the core issue. That's why he was arrested. And, and as he speaks about his faith, it divides the council. We can say he takes a pair of scissors to the council. Paper, rock, Scissors, and, and he basically, he knows the political and religious theological divides that exist there, and he makes a statement that identifies himself with one of, the, one of the sides, the Pharisees. Now, we don't often think of like, let's join up with the Pharisees, uh, but in this instance, this is actually to Paul's advantage in many ways, and, and we can think, oh, this is just a political move by Paul, he's really smart. Um, he knows the difference between the Sadducees who, who don't believe in the resurrection and the Pharisees who do. Is he just trying to cause confusion? Is this a smokescreen by Paul to buy himself more time? Uh, that's, that's how I've traditionally read this uh, myself. But, but in spending more time here, I don't think that's what Paul is doing here. I don't think he's just trying to create a diversion. Um, when he speaks of the resurrection of Jesus, it's not just to divide the room. Uh, he brings it up because it's the distinguishing truth or distinguishing mark of the Christian faith. 
Everything rises and falls on the resurrection of Jesus. And he wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, if Christ has not been raised, if the resurrection isn't actually true historically, your faith is futile. Your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. So if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, the Christian faith is worthless. So, so Paul, when he's speaking of the resurrection in the council, he's not just saying it to create a diversion. He's saying this is the core issue here. This is the main, this is the main point. And it creates this division in the council to the point at which some of the Pharisees begin to defend Paul. We see no wrong in this man. <laughs> Can you believe that? Like this is the same council that, that got Jesus killed. And now they're like, we see nothing wrong with, with Paul. Even though he just spoke against the high priest, Jesus did nothing wrong. But here, Paul has divided the council. And, and to, the, the Pharisees are going, he might be right. Like maybe an angel spoke to him. Uh, it's, it's creating this huge uh, division to the point at which it says that the Roman official came and got Paul again because he was afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces, worse than the Roman uh, flogging, it sounds like. So, so Paul has experienced resistance. He's, he's reacted in several different ways to the different kinds of resistance that he's gotten. But all of them lead back to the same place because Paul is waiting to find out what is going to happen next, right? Like I've just kind of bounced around from angry mob to torture to now the angry mob wants to rip me apart again. Like what is really going to happen to Paul now? And here is where Paul experiences reassurance. Now we can't say for sure, but we can, we can imagine that as Paul goes back to the Roman garrison that he's probably feeling pretty low, Every effort he has made has, has not gone well. He's experienced a lot of stress, mental, physiological, spiritual. Everything that has happened since he's come back to Jerusalem has been really difficult. Even, even the church, there's been some tension there because there's Christians in the church who are saying, we think the methods that you're using are not great. So, so he, he probably feels like he has no, no allies that he's alone here, very, very difficult, and things are not looking any better. It's not like, okay, if I just wait things out, it will get better. Like, he has no forward path. He is in need of encouragement, and it's in this moment that he is given the grace that he really needs. In verse 11, the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Now, these words are for, they're for Paul in a specific moment due to specific circumstances. But I think we can, we can hear them today and we can receive them as a reassurance for ourselves. When we are walking through, as we are walking through difficulty, uh, as we are experiencing resistance, whatever that looks like, uh, that there are four reassurances that we can see in this verse. And the first is that the Lord knows us. The Lord knows us. Just as Jesus, right, he comes to Paul. Paul, I know 
I know what's going on. I know where you're at. I see, I see the situation that you're in. That's incredible, right? Out of the millions and millions of people in the world, Jesus comes to Paul and says, I'm, I know you. I know what's going on with you. And, and I think that many times we feel like, well, Jesus has so many people to take care of, right? So many problems, so many people with bigger problems than my problems. But Jesus knows us. He knows you. He knows the things that you're walking through. So, so know that. Know that he is that he is aware of you and that, um, that he knows exactly when and what we need in our moment of difficulty. And the next reassurance here is that the Lord is with us. Luke, the author of Acts, he says, the Lord Jesus stood by Paul, right? Stood near to him, came close to him. We could even interpret it that he embraced him. Even in our darkest moments, Jesus has not left us. He has not abandoned us. He has not forsaken us. The Lord is with us. He is near to you. The Lord is for us. The Lord is for us. Jesus gives us the encouragement that we need. For Paul, he says, take courage. Don't give up. Don't don't, don't stop doing what you're doing. I'm with you, and, and you're speaking the truth about me now. You were bold. You didn't wither under the pressure. You've been courageous. Continue to be courageous. You're going to have more opportunities to continue speaking the truth about me. And, and how can we not remember what Paul said in Romans 8.31? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who could stand against us if the Lord Jesus is for us? The last reassurance is that the Lord is not finished with us. Even in the midst of your difficulties, your trials, the ways that you are suffering and experiencing pushback as you follow Jesus, Jesus still has a purpose. He still has a plan for you, for your life. And until he calls us home, we're always on his mission. And, and we feel like we're swimming upstream so much, right? Like we are tired, we're not moving anywhere. How could, how could anything good come from this? Take courage. The Lord isn't finished with you yet. And it's not always going to look like we imagine, right? Paul, he, he knew Right? He knew ahead of time going into Jerusalem that he, was, he said, I'm ready to be in prison. I'm ready to suffer. I'm ready for my life even to be taken from me. And he is imprisoned for the rest of his life. He's never not in custody. But there's still five and a half chapters of Acts. His mission is not done yet. God is not finished with him yet. His mission wasn't done, and our mission isn't done either, even as we are suffering, even as we're walking through very, very difficult things. So remember, we will always experience resistance in some way as we follow Jesus. And we can react and respond in many different ways, like Paul, sometimes in good ways and sometimes not. But ultimately, 
We don't rest in the, the, what our reaction is. Like, is it a multiple choice thing here? We don't rest in picking the right thing, the right response. The, powers, the power to endure is not there. The power to endure rests in who Jesus is, what he has done for us. We're reassured because Jesus has already gone ahead of us. That's the only comfort that we can really take. When you need real courage, real reassurance in your moment of difficulty, don't, don't think about how to make the right choice. Think about how Jesus has been perfect for you, how he always made the right choice, how his reactions, even when, they were, when he was facing the greatest injustice in the world, He waited. He was silent because he knew, I'm going to walk this road for my people and so they can walk after me, always looking to me for reassurance. Jesus has gone ahead of us. He will not leave us. He will not forsake you. He knows you. He is with you. He is for you. And he is not finished with you. So take courage. Let's pray. Father, I know that each one of us is in a place of needing reassurance in in some way or another. It might be the reassurance to continue enduring the hard difficulty that we've been walking through. It might be the reassurance that your forgiveness is, is enough for us, that Jesus What you did on the cross through your death and resurrection is enough uh, for our sin as we've been walking away from you. We all need your reassurance this morning, and I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would apply the reassurance of the gospel to each one of our hearts in the particular ways that we need, and that each one of us would turn in faith to Jesus right now, and that as we continue to respond in worship, that you would keep working on us, that you would keep showing us what's true and what's not, and that we could entrust ourselves to you moment by moment. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.